This meeting is being recorded. Welcome in Three Guys Talking Ball podcast. It is that time of the week. It's Thursday, November 3rd, 2022. We have reached episode 48 already. So it's the Tory Hunter edition. Is that, is that a good enough pick for you, Ethan, this week? I, that's better than you've had most days. All right. Well, I, th- I feel like mine have been pretty good, but. I was thinking Tory Hunter. So we're on the same yeah, page. Here. Exactly. We're on the same page. Yeah. You got um, one right. And then next week, we already know what that one's going to be, but we'll have that for a later date. I hate you so much right now. I, I, uh, I, I was, as most of you guys know, the Vikings moved to undefeated when I am in attendance at U.S. Bank Stadium. As you can see, Jared Allen was honored, was uh, inducted into the ring of honor. He came in at halftime on horseback, which was awesome, and gave out mullet, which is a very impressive Impressive locks. I, I might grow the mullet out myself. But Vikings are 6-1. and one. Bison had probably one of their best games of the year, probably their best game of the year. Michigan State is trash. The World Series, we are in the middle of the second as we started start recording this. 0-0 still. And then got some, got some big games this week. We're going to go a little bit – off. We're going to go down to the SEC, talk some Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, and the rest of our games, and then go over to the NFL where there's a couple of big games as well, and then finish up with Curveball of the Week. Guys, how's it going? It's good. Busy, but sh- tired as shit, but hey, here we are. Yeah, there, there you go. How uh, Did you guys go out trick-or-treating? Did you guys dress up for Halloween? We did. Um, I was uh, Cinderella's, um, I guess I drove her carriage. So I was the carriage driver. Okay. And Grant, I know, you, I know you're a big Halloween guy. What, the, what did you dress up as? Well, I'm such a big Halloween guy. I dressed up as a guy who sat in his basement and uh, didn't turn the lights on. So I didn't have to interact wow. with the people. Okay. The Grinch of Halloween. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I just couldn't stand with this dog that I live with. She would try to try to harm all these kids who came to the door just asking for some candy. Because as you guys would know, this dog is insane. So I, I took the uh, the choice of safety over, um, for the community over being part of the, this holiday. So I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hunker down and, uh, and, and watch this uh, – this football game and it looked it looked like Halloween night there in in Cleveland because there was one team who looked like they weren't a pro team but they were dressed and playing as one as the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> yes. Well, and what uh, what what was your guys' best uh, Halloween costumes you guys have ever dressed up as is, that you would say if you had to rank them? Um, definitely my Michael Vick jersey carrying around a stuffed animal dog. Oh, gee. <laughs> Savage mode activated. I, yeah. I, 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 yes. yeah. Yeah. Grant. Yeah. I think the outfit I had the best or most success on was, is I dressed up as like an emergency room doctor. I had, I had the scrubs on. That would be had, scary to have you operate on somebody. Yes. Ab- oh, absolutely. I, I, I don't trust myself to take care of myself when I have a headache, let alone taking care of someone else. But I think, you know, I had the thing, the I don't know what it's called, where they take your heartbeat. I actually had the, the mask on at the time before I knew what masks were. Um, and I was just, I think I even had the uh, the covers over my shoes 
Oh, so I was, wow. You know, head, head to toe, just had the doctor look going on there. And, and I remember I had a lot of success that year. How, so that how would, old that were you when you did that? I, older? I, I don't know. When do you stop trick-or-treating when you're tw- 11, 12, 13? Oh, okay. So right. the, the later mm-hmm. age in life. Okay. Was that the last time you wore a Halloween costume? I feel like that is something that you haven't partook in since you were 12. You know, pr- probably. Because I, I really can't remember the last time, you know, if there was a Halloween party or anything that was going on where I was like, oh, hey, I got to dress up and I got to do this. Um, so it, pr- pr- probably that's 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 safe to say. OK. Yeah, I didn't didn't get to this year because we were in the cities, but had some good ones. I, last year, I was a three punch hole version of Jim from the office. <laughs> I remember seeing that one. That one was good. That one. And then the year before, I was Ricky Vaughn. Then in, I don't even think I did anything in 19. 18, I was Jim Harbaugh. Shocker. I don't know how you remember all this stuff. I have a good, I, I, I'm good at remembering pointless shit nobody cares about. That's, well, that's and it's like, true. if, if copious amounts of partying and possible alcohol are involved, Grass is going to remember this stuff. Yeah. I won't yep. remember what all exactly happened, but you but, remember what you were wearing. Yeah. And I didn't end well, up in jail. So it's a success. And also these last couple of days, you know, if you have your memories on Facebook, they'll pop up. So you're like, huh, yeah. four years ago I did this. So it's, it's not like he remembers it. It just popped up on his Facebook notification. He was like, Oh yeah. I remember when I was dressed up like that and we did X, Y, and Z and it was not good, but you didn't end up in jail. So, so it's yeah. even better. Three things that you can't do. Don't add to the population. Don't decrease to the population. Don't end up in jail. I've done all three. That's all you can do. That actually sounds kind of like the perfect life motto to live by. It really is. I I might need to like get that um, put on a a poster put on my wall. No, not not on my body, but on my wall. So when I wake up every day, that's the first thing I see. And I'm just like, today's going to be a good day. Because if I do these three things. Yeah. It's a way to get through life. So. And we'll, we'll, we'll stay in, in Minneapolis. Like I said, I was at the game. Vikings 34, Cardinals 26. I might go as far to say, I think this might have been the Vikings' most complete game they've played. I think this is probably, on paper, the best roster the Vikings have played. I mean, you look at that Cardinals roster. Kyler's a good player. DeAndre Hopkins, Rondale Moore, uh, J.J. Watt on the defensive side, Isaiah Simmons on the defensive side. They have weapons. Zach Ertz. Was Buda Baker healthy on Sunday? He was. Yep. Yep. And there's some talent there. It's just that they're just so well undisciplined, poorly coached. Um, Kirk Cousins had a really good game. He probably had the slowest 20-yard run I have ever seen in person. And... And then Delvin Cook had a solid game, 20 carries, 111 yards, one touchdown, five catches, 30 yards. Madison was really good in the backfield. Zadarius Smith really looks like he's finding his stride with the team. Three sacks. Well, three Had three, three of the four team sacks. They were able to force two turnovers. And at the end of the day, they're 6-1. and one. No, I think you're right about the most complete game. That was probably the best 60 minutes they've played. They didn't get their ass kicked in the third quarter for the first time. I mean, they turned it over once. I, I didn't watch a ton of the third quarter, but 
it seemed they played better than they had the first five games, I guess. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, it, there were some lulls, but it never felt, even like when the Cardinals took that brief lead, it never felt like the Vikings were out of control in the game. And they, they had the crowd into it the entire time. It was loud. Those, those two interceptions were huge. And any time the Cardinals punched back the, or delivered some punches, the Vikings punched back and answered. And, and that's, that's a good step that this team needs to take, and it's a thing we, we talked about on the previous episode coming out of a bye is we want to see them compete for a whole 60 minutes, and they did. And it was against a good team who could potentially be challenging for a playoff spot down the road. Well, and then, Dylan, I think, you know, like we, you said earlier, you know, Zadarius had three sacks this past Sunday, and that, that was the one thing that we've all talked about before this season started. We were like, if Zadarius and Daniil can get going, this defense and this team will be scary. And I look at Zadarius as two most dominant games this year, both at home week one against Green Bay and last week against Arizona. And after both of those games, not only people in Minnesota here, but the national media are sitting back like, wow, don't mess with this Vikings team. Like they look like a legit team that could, could make a, a decent run to the playoffs. So I just, I can kind of hope that Zaris can continue and Daniil can, can continue to stay healthy and attack the other team's quarterback because it, it's fun to watch. And you know what, for him to have three and a half sacks or three sacks, excuse me, on the day that they put Jared Allen to the ring of honor, it's just fitting. And for him to do the lasso celebration, that place had to explode when he did that. And J.J. Watt did it as well, and he was met with, greeted with a heavy of boos, 68,000 boos. You know, I'm kind of surprised. I'm kind of, I know it was Jared's day, but I am kind of surprised. You know, I guess fans are fans, and, you know, fans are short for fanatic, and they probably thought he was making fun of Jared, but um, I would have thought that would have been cool I was there. You know, J.J. grew up probably watching Jared. He was, I'm guessing he was one of his idols. He wanted to be like him, and he's like, hey, you know what's Jared Allen Day, and if I get the sack, I'm going to hit the lasso. I, I just think it's a cool celebration, and I wish more people would do it. Yeah, I, I don't think he meant any ill will. I think – Yeah, no, I, I think agree. It, I think it was – I think you're right where it, it was a tribute. Yeah. But I also think he knew that he, he was going to do a little bit of trolling too. But I, I think between Jared and J.J., knowing the competitors that they are – I think G- Jared Jared tipped his cap to him, for sure. Oh yeah, and I, you look at the all-time rankings. I think what is Jared around like 138, 136 career sacks. I mean, I don't think you know for a while it looked like JJ was going to break that, but I I don't know. So here at the end of the day, and with their careers, you know, Jared he still might have that last mm-hmm. laugh in terms of total sacks. Uh, you know, when JJ eventually retires here, I'm guessing in a couple of years. Well, and the other part that was crazy to me, because it felt like Jared played here for 15 years. He only played played for the Vikings for six seasons. I know. It's weird. Like, he, he realized he was only there from 2008 to 2013. But in his Hall of Fame career, you just think of him as a 10-year vet and a stalwart of this Vikings team, you know, for 10, 12 years. Yeah, and he was, he was such a huge success to those – to those teams that where mm-hmm. they were, they made the playoffs three or 
Was it four of the six years? Probably it has to be close. I would think it was. Yeah, yeah, it would have been four. Okay, and and they had in '09 where the championship where the Saints cheated, and it was obviously would have loved to get the get a Super Bowl to Minnesota, but he's he's not in the Hall of Fame yet. He's definitely going to get there. Uh, well, very also, cool. and he also retired a Viking as well. He signed a one day yeah. contract. Well, and also, you know, you know, kind of the last year in 2011 when the Vikings were three and 13, you know, he had 22 sacks. And there was a point in that last game where he was almost, um, he had the opportunity to get 23 and break Strahan's record. And in a year where it was a lost year, but he had excitement and a reason for fans to tune in because they're like, when are we going to witness NFL history? Is Jared going to get, is he going to get to 23? And he was the reason also for the famous Dan or- Orlovsky running out of the back of the end zone. Yep. Cause he, yep. Had, he had Jared hot on his trail and he said, Oh, I don't want this cowboy to get me. So he just decided to run two yards out of the end zone, like a complete buffoon that Dan Orlovsky is. Yeah. He forced, cause it was one of the trivia questions on the jumbotron. He, I think it was, he forced four safeties in his Vikings career. No I'm kidding. Sure, yeah. I think the year before, Four. I think it was Aaron Rodgers' first year starting. I want to say he had two in that Vikings-Packers game at the Metrodome. And then must have had another one at some – yeah, and then he had the Dan Orlovsky one, and then he had one against the Cardinals. Okay. So, there you go. And then also the infamous Thursday night fight against Donald Penn. Yeah. <laughs> I just – even to this day watching those highlights, I get a little goosebumps watching that. Because yeah. I can't imagine how loud the Metrodome was after he took Josh Freeman down um, after his little dust-up with Donald Penn there. Yeah. No kidding. RIP to the Metrodome. I do kind of miss that place. But we'll, we'll keep things moving here. We'll go down over to the college ranks. We won't discuss really the Dallas game. I didn't get to watch it all. They dominated 49-29. But actually, let's go back to the Vikings a little bit because I think the Vikings – made a huge move and an upgrade when they traded for TJ Hawkinson yesterday, got from the lions, got and got just traded a second round pick for him. And this Irv, big news too. It's, it's an addition by subtraction because Irv Smith is out right now. I think they said for eight to 10 weeks because of a high ankle sprain, but it, it is a huge upgrade with TJ Hawkinson because you're getting a better pass catcher and a better path run blocker as well. One well, didn't, didn't the Vikings also get like a, a third round pick or a fourth round pick back? Two from fourth round picks. Also? Two yeah, fourth I mean, rounders back and they gave up a third rounder, I believe. I mean, what and is second round, second round is, and third round? What is Detroit doing? They want to pay him. Pretty much. I that, That's the only thing that makes sense to me is they don't want to pay them, and they're going to have two first, two seconds, two thirds, and then they also get Jamison Williams when he comes back from an ACL injury. So, But yeah. they, we, we also have to realize it is the Lions, so they will 1,000% screw it up. Yeah. Well, and do, they probably screwed it up this year when they took Jamison Williams. They should have taken another defensive player, and then now – all of a sudden, their secondary coach slash pass game coordinator is going to get can- got canned, and it's like, what about Aaron Glenn? 
What about the guy calling the defense? Or does he does he get, does he get a pass because he's Dan Campbell's buddy, and people loved him on Hard Knocks? True. Yeah. I, you know, well, it's, that's, it's, you also hear that a lot within the coaching realm of the NFL. Is most of these coaches, they just hire their buddies. They don't actually do a lot of their homework and think who's going to be really good at coaching this particular it, position. That's like, yeah. oh, I coached with this guy when I was a receivers coach. He was a he was an analyst. He seemed really good. I'll give him a call, see if he wants to move up yeah. in his career. And it seems like that's how a lot of those jobs go. But but even like like guys like we said earlier earlier in the year, um, this Detroit defense is as a roster is still not that good. I mean, nothing nothing against Aiden Hutchinson, but it's hard to rush a passer as a rookie, as a, as a twenty one year old. You know, he had he had the one nice half against the, the Commanders. He had a good game but, against Dallas too, and D- Dallas. But besides that, it, it's tough. I mean, so I, I think they probably instead of taking Jamison to circle back where I started from, they should have they should have taken another defensive player like, um, you know, Jermaine Johnson in New York. <laughs> why why not take two pass rushers um, when you know your secondary is, is shit? Yeah, but but well, because, point, because they're the Lions. They're, they're, they're the, the Lions. They're the Lions. They, they mess. They mess things up. Yes, and we'll uh, we'll go down to the college. NDSU beat Illinois State over the weekend, 24-27. That was the most complete game NDSU played. I didn't get to watch a whole lot of it. Just kind of checking highlights, looking over the stats, and kind of watching some or listening to some post game shows. They, that it is, NDSU extended their streak to 38 straight wins over off of a bye week. Uh, biggest improvement that I've seen, and they've you've heard most NDSU media talking heads have talked about, is they only had two missed tackles this game. They held Illinois State to 76 yards rushing, and offensively, they just kind of took what Illinois State gave them. Illinois State always has a really tough, really has always has a really tough defense, so. There wasn't going to be a lot of explosive plays, but they managed the game well, and the receivers looked to look the part again, and uh, building off some of their strong performances, and hopefully they can keep building off that. But there wasn't a whole whole lot. Twenty four seven, you can't complain about a win like that over a team that was playing really well as of late, and got to got a got a. A cupcake coming up, and then after that, it is they've got two big ones. So that's that's about all NDSU for the for the uh, for this episode for twenty four seven Illinois over Illinois State. So complete game. Are and they still rank second? Uh no, they're like. I thought they were fourth, fourth. Fourth, I think right now. They're. There's their big sky still has some teams to play. They've got to sort some things out. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if they get up to two. South Dakota State's got Illinois State this week. So that did, did South Illinois, Dakota State did they beat North Dakota a couple weeks ago? Yeah, they yep. should stop. Yeah, them. yeah, they did. They gotcha. UND UND was up twenty one seven, and then South Dakota State scored twenty eight unanswered, and wow. that was and that was about it. But yeah, so after, I think, yeah, they've got, South Dakota State's got UNI this week, and I think Illinois State next week. So 
a couple of tough ones, but and then their their last week of the season is is about they're off. They don't play anybody, so they'll have they'll be going three weeks without playing a playing a game, unless they were to lose these last two and play themselves out. But I I still think they even if they were to lose these next two, I think they'd be good enough to hang on to a one of the lower seeds of like a seven or eight. But we'll see. And go over to, you guys want to discuss uh, any of your games? Grant, you were able to salvage a beer even though you had to sweat it out. Oh, my God. I was getting nervous there. Oh, boy. Um, I, I'm not going to – I was – there's, what, six, seven minutes left in the game, and I was up comfortably, and I'm just like, all right, hold on. Hold on, boys. Pump the brakes now here. We don't need to score. I <laughs> – I've had this beard on and off for the last three years now, and I don't want to see what I look like without it. So can we just just be comfortable? Like, hell, let's even start taking knees, like what LSU did against Ole Miss when they played them in, like, I think it was like 2011. Let's just take some knees, rub it in Pat Fitzgerald's face that your team sucks this year, let Grant keep his beard, and, and, and life will be good. <laughs> they they got to win. They're feeling better. The sky's not falling for at least another seven days. But uh, I was getting a little nervous there. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. Well, what was the final score of that game? It was like 33-13, I think, something like that. 33-14. Yeah, thirteen. Yep. Okay. And well, and Petrus played his best game of the year by far. And, and it was. And I was. I saw a clip of the uh, clip of Riley Moss's post game or. I think it must have been, had to have been his post game interview, but like he was almost like crying how happy he was for Petra. So that, which guy has had his struggles. We've, we've, it's well documented, but it's cool to see stuff like that because it's not like he is out there. He's just having a bad year. And, you know, when you have those games, I think it seems like in the locker room, he's well liked. I think he plays plays hard you can't dispute that either but it's just it's just not your year some of these years so that was cool to see is that though the guys in the locker room still had his back they never gave up on him oh for sure and when when you go through what these college athletes go through um the camaraderie and the brotherhood you built it it's unmatched you know i mean especially you know in your summer workouts i remember hearing jordan palmer um, and Desmond Ritter, they were talking once before the pre-draft process. And they were talking about these college workouts and how they are the hardest thing you'll do in your football career, collegiate and professional, where, the, you know, Jordan Palmer says it's just it's not really necessary what they put you through in these college workouts. But it builds that camaraderie and, you know, that brotherhood you have for a team. And, you know, let's not forget these players. You know, I'm not an angel. I've, I've bashed them here. Um, multiple, multiple times, and it's probably not the nicest thing. But you know, they're people too. They they have feelings too. I mean, could you imagine if someone like what Baker Mayfield said? You know, Dylan, if you're having a bad week at work and someone comes up and they're they're saying all this nasty stuff to you and you suck, you should you don't deserve to work here anymore. Get them off the team. It would hurt. It would offend you a little a little bit. So you're right. It, it is nice to see that they got each other's back. And they played well for a week and they, you know, they can celebrate for seven days and they can have fun playing football again. That, that's, that's the best part. Cause you know, Petrus knows he's done playing football 
when whenever he's done with Iowa. He he has no shot at the professional level. And he's been playing this game probably since he was six or seven. So if he can just go out, have fun playing the game he loves, put some points up, see his teammates smile and the coach his coaches smiling with him. You love to see it. Yeah. Grant, I will say I actually do exactly what you just uh, said about telling people they suck at their job and stuff because I, I, I do fire people. So it's honestly kind of enjoying a very, a very joyful moment when you actually do that. Well, but it's, it's, it's when that's your job, though, yeah, that, that's what you're <laughs> supposed to do. But you know, if you're just sitting, sitting back doing anything else and someone comes up, boo, you suck, you're worthless, get off That'd the team, how are they paying you? I'd be like, damn, that kind of hurts a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's like who 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 let you be a dick in front of me right now? Yeah, and I, I think it's more of an indictment of Brian. Fer- we'll choose to make this more of an indictment of Brian Ferentz and Spencer Petrus because oh, absolutely, that guy that guy deserves to be booed. And well, and, and people do show up to his job and boo him, and he still hasn't gotten any better. So yeah, and at the end of the day, I'm not gonna. You know, Spencer, he's he's been bad. He's been ugly, and he's just – let's be honest. He's not a Big Ten quarterback. But at some point, you know, your coaches have to stop putting you in these situations where you're not successful each week, and then they make you get up on the mic and talk to the media and just get, you know, ripped apart by these savages in the media when your coaches sit back and don't do anything about it. So, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Dylan. It's a Brian Ferentz – um, problem and I'll never have anything nice to say about him. He needs to get the hell out of town. Um, so, so yeah, still Friar Brian, Brian Ferris. Because let's also not kid ourselves. Last week's performance was against probably the was against FCS Midwest. Northwestern's awful. They haven't won a game in America in over a calendar year. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, yeah, yes, you're right. You're right. They haven't won a game in America you're in right. over a calendar year, and they beat the skating, the fighting Scott Frost, which you know, I mean, any anyone could do. I think Lincoln Lincoln West women's volleyball team could could have beaten Nebraska football under Scott Frost. <laughs> but <laughs> let's 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 not say everything's all um, you know rainbows and unicorns in Iowa City because Northwestern's not that good. But but you know, for 24 hours and for a week, you'll take a win because these guys, you know, they, they do put in a lot of work and they love the game. Yeah, for sure. And we'll go over to Minnesota, back to Min- the state of Minnesota. Ethan, you don't have a bag over your head? No, I, I do took, not. You guys took care lose. of Rutgers. Yeah, great. Iowa beat the FCS of the Midwest. We beat the FCS of the East. So, you know, it goes very well <laughs> together. Um, I don't know. I was just glad the defense played better. Uh I think Tanner Morgan still sucks. Uh, I don't think the offense trusts him at all. But they ran it 42 times with or something like that with Mo. And uh, even before the game, Flex said yesterday on his radio show that he told Mo he was going to get 40 carries. So I think that kind of tells you everything you need to know about them trusting Tanner Morgan at this point. Now, Ethan, at what point do you go to the the young man who played against Penn State maybe see what you have for next will. year? I wish they would, but that's just not – it's not Flex. He just won't do it. I don't know why, but I mean, Tanner, Tanner wasn't bad. He was 16 to 21, like 180 yards or something like that. And I guess that's the formula was, with him. Yeah. And Only of let him Fleck, throw the ball like 20 drops. times. Yeah. Yeah. But even then it was nothing, it was all like nothing big, like no explosive plays in the off and like the actual very, passing very game, safe. which is the issue. Very safe. 
Yes, definition of it. Like they need to like actually start making these chunk plays. You can't do like five, 10. You need like a 20, a 30. Like you need to, you need those big plays to, to win games. Now here's my, my question is, let's say a couple weeks from now, you know, and, and I'll throw Iowa in, in this conversation too. Both Minnesota and Iowa are eliminated from the Big Ten West contention. Yeah. All right. They're not winning it. At what point do both of these coaches' staff sit back and say, these guys aren't – they're not our guy next year. We, sh- we should go to this, this – see what we have on this younger roster. So what happened this year at the quarterback play doesn't happen again. Or are both of these coaches, coaching staffs loyal to a fault? I, th- I think Fleck for sure is. He won't bench Tanner unless he's hurt. Gotcha. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just curious because you think that's some sort of conversation this coaching staff would want to have to see. You think they would? What our future is? Because I mean, Ethan wasn't bad versus Penn State. He was fine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wasn't he you know, a decent recruiter? Uh, a guy that yeah, he was uh, out of, out of, out, of high out of Illinois. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it just, it makes you think, you know, at some point you have to look into the future, even though some guy's giving you six or five years, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's time to move on. Yeah. What, yeah. what year is, is he a true freshman or redshirt freshman or? Uh, redshirt freshman. Okay. Gotcha. If I remember right. Okay. And go over to another state that starts with the letter M in a state championship game. Michigan brought Paul Bunyan back home, 29-7, dominating defensive performance by the Wolverines, limiting Michigan State to 37 yards rushing. Offensively, moved the ball, had some red zone struggles. Luckily, we've got one of the best kick Michigan has. Not we. I'm, I'm not a Packer fan. Michigan has one of the best kickers in the country in Jake Moody. Dylan, can I say something real quick? Yeah. Every single week. Every single week, you correct yourself when you're talking about Michigan. You always say we. Oh, no, I don't play for Michigan. We. Oh, I'm not on the team. We. Oh, hey, I'm not a Packer fan, which is great, by the way. But just why not just roll with the we? Like I said earlier in the show, f- fans are short for fanatics. Just, because just, I'm not going to stoop to a Packer fan level, and the Packers are dead. They are dead. You, Have you watched that team play? They're dead, Grant. I'm not stooping to that level, okay? I am not a Packer fan. It is Michigan. It is not we. I don't play for the team. I didn't even go to the school. I got into an argument with this chick at the bar, at a bar who had Michigan State stuff on. I told her she had two high school diplomas. She flipped me off and walked away. It was awesome. <laughs> You're not a Packer fan, yes, because you don't own stake in the University of Michigan. No. But it's also not a, a work at the local dairy for uh, – creamer for $45,000 a year you're better than them people so you can say we because you are better than Packer fans you don't live in that she's hellhole known as Wisconsin I don't but you know again I I don't want to stoop to that level you know I don't want to stoop down to the Michigan State the Green Bay levels which the only thing that Michigan State only fight Michigan State put up all all game was after the game when they decided to gang up on two Michigan players in the tunnel and assault yeah, when, them when they jump them in the in the tunnel. Yeah, it it was an embarrassment. It's just an indictment of the program, which Coach Tucker basically allows. And probably, if there was no video to it or there was not the uh, backlash that there was, he wouldn't suspend them. They weren't going to suspend the guy that the main 
the instigator of it because he was one of the best players on the defense. And then when more video came out and more outrage, he decided to suspend him. It's, it's a trash program. He's a trash coach. He got paid $95 million to suck. And it sucks that we have to talk about that when Michigan completely dominated the game, which we will. Blake Corm continues his Heisman candidacy and Heisman campaign, I should say. J.J. McCarthy keeps rolling along. I, I would like to see some better improvement out of the red zone, but in a game, in a rivalry of this magnitude, and there were some fourth and shorts that Michigan could have gone for, but I think Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh looked at the other side and said, we can beat this team with field goals. Their offense is nothing. The only offense I think Michigan State has is just throwing the ball up, to having their receivers run go routes and just throwing the ball up in the air and hoping really they come I down said, with it. Like, beginning of the year. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and it works when you have Kenneth Walker, but they don't have Kenneth Walker. And it was Michigan got out of there with a win. Hopefully, Jamon Green is able to recover. It sounds like he was, he's still in concussion protocol. Hmm. But, and, and I, I, I'm sure, and there's been people talking about how the tunnel's the problem. The tunnel's been there since the stadium was built. There, there's been thousands of games played in that stadium, and there hasn't been issues like that where, the other team is assaulting. And most of the time after games, you see most Michigan players and players from the other team chatting about the game. Even when it was Michigan, Ohio state, or two weeks ago when Penn state was throwing on crustables after the game, it was, it was cordial. They were talking after the game, there were pictures of it, but. Do but you just, think, Dylan, do you think that it will get to a point where after the game they will, like, physically separate the team? They'll let one team go in first, and then they'll let one team go in after that so this doesn't happen again? Do you think we'll, we'll get to that point where they kind of block it off and they're like, no, we, we can't risk this? One team goes in and the other team follows that afterwards? Maybe, but, I mean, you're still – it's still – I mean, most of the time you're, you're shaking hands with guys that – I mean, in the Big Ten, there's a lot of guys that played played high school with each other or against each other in the same state. And for the most part, you don't see that st- type of stuff. That's It's one of the first times that's ever happened. I mean, sh- I mean, there was Ohio State last year and then Penn State this year. There was, there was jawing, but there was never where it got physical or anything like that. It's just guys need to control their tempers and their anger and can't let words hurt their feelings where they want to go – hurt somebody i think that's what it comes down to is yeah people need to act mature and grow up makes sense but, but yeah it, your point it took away kind of the luster of the game because you know in my in my eyes right now michigan's one of the best four teams in college football and if the season ended today they'd be playing for a national championship but the only thing people can be talking about is this player getting jumped in the tunnel and you know, we're, we're taken away from the hard work that these kids put out on that field on Saturday night. Yeah. And not, well, not they were, they were saying how he, he shouldn't have been going up there, but the, there, there's a story about it. it, it Jamon green, his dad is a truck driver or a long haul truck driver. So he's got a very limited schedule. So he, 
he usually likes to get up there right away to see his dad because his dad usually has to go to the next load that he's working on. It, it yeah. had nothing to do with that. And I mean, I, I just don't think that there's, and there's no indication that Michigan became physical first because even the Michigan State, they've based, there's some people, like I think Tucker's, he's handled it a little bit better, but still I think the Board of Regents and the upper, his bosses have been more, have done a good job of handling it as well and cooperating, but we, we can't, we, we can't reach this part of the society, which we have is where, Oh, somebody said a mean thing to me. I'm going to go beat the hell out of them just because of that. Yeah. And for, for no, for no apparent reason, then you're going to yeah. have, you know, four dudes jump on top of this dude and then, to your point, beat the hell out of them. And it could have been a lot worse than what it actually was. You know, you thank God he's only in concussion protocol. Yep. I mean, bones could have been broken. Um, you know, he could have been bleed, bleeding everywhere. It could, it could have been awful. Well, and then there was one other player that was hurt. He's got like a deviated septum or something with, I think there's devi- deviated septum or like a broken nose or something like that. But yeah, I, people just need to grow up and be intelligent. But that's enough talk about it. We'll go down over to baseball. We are currently in the top of the fourth with one out in the world series that the Phillies are up two to one game. Three was Tuesday night. Bryce Harper is still good at baseball team hit five home runs last night. That was their only way of getting runs. I think they went and went to the seventh inning until the Phillies had runners in scoring position. And they still won five to nothing or seven to nothing. That, that that that's just incredible but talk talk about modern day baseball man philip philadelphia put that on it put that on a, on display last night with that just um the home run derby that they put off in citizens bank ballpark yeah it, well enough bryce harper comes up his first at bat at home first pitch no doubter home run mm-hmm. and place went absolutely nuts philly is a tremendous sports town they they're just kind of the sports capital of the world right now i hate to admit it but you know your football team seven and oh your baseball teams in the world series we don't have to discuss the sixers sixers they suck yeah there's not many good teams in detroit right now but this uh, i i'm not and then ranger suarez pitched five shutout innings I was surprised they pulled him because I don't think he was at a lot of pitches. I thought they would let him go a little bit longer. He was dominating. And then they, you know, try to keep that bullpen a little fresher, but they pulled him. Bullpen preserved the shutout. And now it puts the Astros against the, in some familiar territory where they have their backs against the wall. They are down two to one in the, in the series. And they have to win tonight or this series, I think, is. I think it's over. I think they might be able to win game five in Philly, but it's still going to be tough to win two games. And it's going to come down to which bullpen's going to be fresher. And right now, I think I like the Phillies a little bit more. I'm actually shocked how awful 
Houston's hitting has been, to be honest. They're really no strategy whatsoever at the plate. They're just up there swinging, it seems like, outside of Kyle Tucker, who just, no, he flew out again. But no one's hit it hard. I've watched the last, like, I don't know, not 15 innings, but probably 10 innings or so. I bet you I could count on one hand how many balls they've hit 95-plus miles an hour. Like, they cannot square these pitches up to save their life where you look at the Phillies. Last night, everything was hit 100-plus miles an hour. Like, it was just insane. Guys, is it, is it just one of those where, you know, the Phillies are just – they're just – they're hot and it just – it feels like their time and maybe Houston, you know, they're, they're, they've are they been one of the best teams in baseball year-round, 105 wins in the regular season, back-to-back World Series appearances, haven't lost their last two. Is it cra- – am I crazy enough to think that is, is there some sort of pressure building up on this Astros team and they're, they're just crumbling right now? Well, I think what it is is playing like themselves. I think what possibly could be is because Dodger Stadium, the fans are known to come late, leave early, where the previous team, the teams they are playing in the World Series now, those fans are there. The stadium is filled 25 to a half hour before the game starts. And the places, their places they've played in, in the Battery in Atlanta, Nationals Park, and now Citizens Bank Park in Philly, the places are absolutely electric and go nuts where I think it's hard for the Astros to hear the trash cans. Uh, oh, you, you bring up a good point. <laughs> I knew you were going there. <laughs> you bring up a good point. You know, that that's that's a never-forget moment, those cheaters down there in Houston. But what's weird is, is remember their World Series against the Nationals? The road team won every game in that series. Yep. I, that, yeah. that one I just I can't wrap my, wrap my head around but also guys maybe kind of compared to like a different team but then you know the 2019 when when the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup you know they fired Mike Yo in January and that time they were the worst team in the NHL what this past May the Phillies were one of the worst teams in baseball they fired Joe Girardi and they, they get a new new manager and their new skipper and it almost seems like it's just been a breath of fresh air. So I'm almost, you know, kind of seeing these comparisons, comparisons, excuse me, between these two teams where it's like they have that coaching slash manager change in the middle of the season and their superstar players start playing like superstars. And now all of a sudden, nobody, nobody can beat this team. Well, and, and they're just missed like 50 games from June to July with a broken thumb too, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was right around there probably. And, and the other part, too, is, is like, you look and, – and Joe – I saw this on an interview Joe Girardi did. He, I, maybe he's just – you can chalk this up as sour grapes, but I, I think he does have some – he brings up some good points. Is When they fired him, they were, they were in the teeth of their schedule in May when, you know, they were playing the Dodgers, they were playing the Mets, they were playing the Mariners, all teams that made the playoffs. The Mariners won 100 games. They were playing the Phillies. Yeah, they were playing like they were playing some some tough games, just kind of a low part, and it happens. And like I said, you could chalk it up as sour grapes or whatever. But do does with even if Joe Girardi wasn't fired, you maybe maybe they're still in the playing in the World Series. Who knows? But yeah, Grant, you're you're right though. They've played a lot. They've played a heck of a lot better since. 
since he was let go. So maybe that is something. Maybe the message just wasn't getting through, and that could be too. So we'll see what happens. It's uh, middle of the fourth now. Hopefully we can uh, keep these uh, keep the series going. I don't want to see a five game series. I the bad part about this this series is is they they started at like awful time. They should have started it not on a Friday Saturday where and then if they play game six game seven it's going to be Saturday Sunday. It'll be Saturday Sunday competing with college football and the NFL. So the baseball again can't get out of their own way, but. Like I said, we've got college baseball, NFL to talk. You mean college and football? College football. What did I say? College baseball? You said sure college did. baseball. Oh, Omaha's right. always out. Omaha, baby. And yeah, we will. Uh, which I said we got college football this weekend, which we'll move to. Got some big games in the SEC, guys. I don't know the last time we've seen where it's two top ten teams, the college football playoff rankings came out well whatever i i it, it's early it'll play itself out uh seems like they're doing a little bit of positioning to boost the sec teams resumes lsu is number comes in at 10 who they play alabama this week and lsu is a little bit of a fun fact friday on a thursday here is lsu is looking for their first win at home against Bama since when? You guys know this? Since when? Yeah. The last time LSU won at home against Alabama. I'm going to say Nick Nick Saban was their head coach. Uh, I'm going to go 2004. Okay. You said 2004, Grant. Ethan, what did you say, 2000? 2000. 2010. Really? Yep. Nope. Yep. That was the year. That was Greg McElroy's senior. Alabama went like eight and four. That was huh. their last win hmm. at home. Alabama's a 13 and a half point favorite. It is a night game in LSU. So LSU will always have a shot. The game's on ESPN. Which that at Baton Rouge at night will always be a top five bucket list game. Yes. Yeah. I don't absolutely know if I'd make it out alive. It would it, it's it's top top five game to go to without question. Marty Smith tells an incredible story about about this game. Was I don't remember. I think it was in 2018 when LSU and Alabama were playing, and he was doing a segment for game day, and game day was getting ready to start. And this LSU fan looks like he was still drunk from the night before, holding the bottle of Jack, goes up to him. Offers Marty a sip, and he's like, "No, I got to do a TV segment." Well, welcome to welcome to Death Valley, brother, and just chugs a bottle of whiskey at five a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I at that point, I think I would just be happy to make it alive to the game. Oh, you that you know for a fact that guy by about two thirty passed out in the back of his truck and slept slept in the back of that pickup for about 36 straight hours. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we'll, we'll get into the game here, but I think, obviously, crowd's going to be electric. It's going to be an incredible atmosphere. Alabama has struggled on the road as of late, losing to Tennessee, 
Should have probably lost to Texas. Texas. And then if just not not that typical typical Nick Saban team you're used to seeing at I think their inability to consistently run the ball is really is what's really been hindering them in these road games. And I think a key for them is they got to be able to run the ball. They don't need to go run for 300 yards, but they need to be effective running it. They need to be able to move the sticks, stay ahead of the sticks, you know, second and five, second and four, where they keep that playbook for Bill O'Brien, keep that play sheet big and, and then on the defensive side, I think the biggest thing is just keeping Jaden Daniels in the pocket because when he's most dangerous and when he has his most success is key is when he's able to break loose, scramble, get out of the pocket and throw the ball on the run. That's where he has his most success. I think if Alabama was able to do that, I think that gives him a shot to win. I'd actually be kind of surprised if they don't blow them, blow them out of the water. I, I think LSU is not good at all. The fact they're ranked 10th is – Honestly, kind of ridiculous to me. Four spots above Utah. Their like, booth, really, it's just like, to boost the SEC re- resume. I, I know. It's just a joke. Like, they're not even relatively close to a top 10 team. Who have they beat all year? Auburn? Auburn. They barely beat Auburn on the road. The, their big win was they beat Ole Miss by like 25 points, which yeah, was and close Ole Miss in the fourth quarter. 11, which, yeah. But then, and, and Ole also, Miss isn't even good either. That um, and that was a game that Ole Miss LSU game, and I think if that game is played at Ole Miss, I think Ole Miss wins by twenty five. Yeah, well, yeah, and let's not you know LSU they had that awful game against Florida State. They barely beat Auburn. They only beat Florida by ten points. This is you said it's just it's just bias and it's name for it's 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 the a big name brand and. The college football committee knows this college football season has been below average. We've had one really great game, and besides that, it's been kind of meh. So they want to they want to try to create buzz. And how do you create buzz? Top ten matchup in Baton Rouge. Herbie and Fowler on the call. Herbie and Fowler on the call. Nighttime in Tiger Stadium. They're going to be singing Garth Brooks before the people are going to be drinking. There, there might be a hundred, a million pounds of crawfish in that stadium, and I hope, I hope there is. It's it's Saban against his old team, and you, you know Nick loves nothing more than going to that stadium and just beating the shit out of those Tigers. His former, his former team. His his former team. So this this is just a way for them to try to boost up and get people excited about college football here in November. But I, I'm with Ethan. I, I don't I don't think LSU is that good. Um, I, I think Alabama has listened, in the words of Nick Saban, to the rat poison. This year, everyone said, including all three of us, said how great they were and they were going to be the undisputed national championships. They were going to roll through this, through this year. And they've struggled. But a big thing for Alabama is last week, former LSU Tiger cornerback Eli Ricks he finally got on the field, and he was dominant against Mississippi State. I think he had four pass breakups, an interception, brought some energy to that secondary, which they needed after Tennessee, after Tennessee torched them this year. Arkansas made that game somewhat close, almost losing to Texas. That defense, I think, needed a spark because Will Anderson and Dallas Turner aren't bringing the constant pressure like I, like I thought they would this year. You know, also teams might be – you know, trying to get the ball out quicker and triple team and will. But this Alabama secondary was a sieve. 
against Tennessee and having having Eli Ricks last week finally play was was something big. And I'm looking for a big revenge game from him because as soon as you Jaden Daniels turns that ball over a couple of times, he kind of snowballs. And then LSU could take advantage – Alabama could take advantage of this and, you know, beat the Tigers by 20 in that stadium again. Yeah. Well, it, and I, Alabama hasn't been what we're used, accustomed to seeing them either, especially on the defensive side. I mean, you don't mm-hmm. see them give up 52 points to a team. I don't know the last time you, you see that. They haven't. But – and I think that's what will give them. I think LSU. I think LSU will be able to move the ball against them. It's just they they got to be able to get touchdowns because Bryce Young is going to ball. We all know that, and we'll see what happens. But we'll we'll go over to another SEC game, one versus three, Tennessee, Georgia. Georgia is eight point favorites in this game. This is the one thirty CBS game, and. This is the first time since 1998 that Tennessee is the number one team in the country. Feels like 98. And they're going to get a nice welcome to being number one when they have to go travel down, down to the hedges of Georgia and play in Sanford Stadium. And I think this game is going to come down to red zone, red zone efficiency. If you're Georgia, you are Kirby and Kirby Smart. You are hammering red zone defense all week. Make them kick field goals because field goals aren't going to beat them. Hendon Hooker has a 21 to 1 touchdown ratio. They have to force a couple on him, that Georgia secondary. And I think if they're able to do that, I like Georgia's chances. I think I don't trust Stetson Bennett enough that he can go blow for blow with Hendon Hooker and getting touchdowns. But. This game is at home for Georgia, so we'll see how Tennessee handles that road environment because this is probably the biggest game in San – their stadium is Sanford Stadium, right? Sanford Stadium, yeah. Okay, yeah, between the hedge of Sanford Stadium. This is probably the biggest game since Notre Dame came there in the 2019 year, so this crowd is going to be crazy, and I. this is a game that I've had – that probably most people chalked up as an easy win for Georgia at the start of the year, but I don't think that's the case anymore. No, I see look damn good versus Alabama the other week. So, I mean, I, I haven't really watched a ton of either team, but it's going to be a dog fight. Well guys, even like what, what Tennessee did last week to Kentucky may actually have been more impressive than what they yeah. did. Down. True. Because I, I watched that game on Saturday night and they made Will Levis and that Kentucky offense a shell of themselves. And that's just because the constant stress and pressure that Tennessee's offense puts on an opposing defense and how they can score so fast and so quick. And they do it in so many different ways. You know, I I remember a couple of years ago, Colin Cowherd on his radio show, he had Andy Reid on and he asked Andy why it's hard to develop college players in the NFL to play defense. And he said, well, in college, you have to deal with these wide hash marks and there's so much open space. And it got me thinking when, and when Tennessee, if they're on the left hash and they have 38 yards to play with, with this speed and this system that Josh Heupel has, 
you, you get them in the open field and it's almost, they're almost unstoppable. We're just their, their, their concepts and their route combinations. You have to communicate so well with the defense. And that's what Alabama, that's what screwed Alabama over in that game. But also Tennessee, they run the ball too. You know, they try, they try to be physical up front and get that RPO game going. So this is when Georgia's front seven needs to play like the best front seven in America, because if they can stop the run, if they can get in head and hooker's face, they have a shot. But if it's a clean pocket and Tennessee's running the ball all day, I, I, I don't think Georgia can win this game because this will be the first time that Georgia's offense actually needs to go blow for blow with the team. And this year they're, they're putting up yards like it's no one's business, but they haven't done it when they needed to do it. So I'll be intrigued to see uh, how Georgia gets in a game when they know their offense has to score. Because, like I said, this Tennessee offense puts so much pressure on a defense that you almost get too amped trying to stop them, and then before you know it, they go 75 yards in four plays. Yeah. I think make them make make Tennessee go the whole field limit limit those explosive plays like you said. I think that that's going to give Georgia a shot and and make Stetson Bennett Stetson Bennett's life easier because oh. like I said I there's there's no way in hell that he is going to be able to go do what Bryce Young did and match match Hendon Hooker blow for blow. It, he just isn't. I mean, he's a good game manager. I don't think. He's not that guy. He's not. No, exactly. He's he's not that guy. But not that guy. And I, I I think if you're Georgia on offense, I think Todd Munkin's thinking we got to try to keep this ball for thirty five to thirty six minutes and try to even. They probably are trying going to try and touch that forty minute range at that this point. I think. But you know, time of possession against this Tennessee offense, in my eyes, is overrated, Dylan. Yeah, it's like playing Peyton Manning and the Colts. Remember that Monday night game against the Dolphins when they had the ball for the Dolphins had the ball for 41 minutes. It was hot. It was humid. The Colts were wearing blue. The Colts yeah. still won the. Game. So you you not only have to hold the ball for 38 minutes, you need to score touchdowns. That and they, and they have to make Tennessee kick field goals, which which goes into the game plan of stressing red zone defense and don't give up the big chunk plays, which just. Like like in basketball, it it makes when you start hitting those hitting threes, it makes the hoop get bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, and also you know let's not with how aggressive Tennessee is on offense, this Georgia defense needs to know a first down stop at second and nine. Guess what? It's actually now first and ten, because if Tennessee gets anywhere within fourth and three or closer, they're going to go for it. Yep. So. Just because you got a nice stop on first down, that doesn't mean anything. You got to get a stop on first down and second down because if it's fourth and three or closer, Josh Heupel's going for it, and he's going to go fast. He's not going to substitute, and you're going to be exhausted, and you're not going to be able to communicate, and you're going to look like that Alabama secondary pulling a, pulling a, a Daniel Sorensen and letting him go 50 yards past you. <laughs> for sure. Well, the other part, too, is, is for that Georgia defense is they have to win first and second down. And oh, it, min- shrink that play sheet for Josh Heupel to where they only have so many because if they if Tennessee can consistently win on first and second down and they have the entire play sheet, good luck. Well, and also I think Georgia for their offensive sakes, they're going to have to get a couple chunk plays out of Bo Bowers. Yep, yeah, that's he, another one. He, 
he's he's a he's a kind of player where he can dominate this game. He's kind of a college version of Travis Kelsey. I mean, what what this guy can do as a true sophomore is just incredible. And they're they need some chunk plays out of him and these other receivers themselves, because you can have the ball for nine, 10, 11, 13 plays, but give me some touchdowns. Yep. I mean, and if I'm George's offense, I'm almost doing like what Sean McDermott did in that playoff game last year. I'm going for it on fourth down and I might go for two early just because you're going to need every single point possible in this game to beat 10. Yeah. Uh, going to be an exciting game. One thirty on CBS Mountain Time. Go a bit down to the FBS, FCS, excuse me, where NDSU plays Western Illinois at 12 Mountain Time. That game is on ESPN Plus only since it's the Missouri Valley game of the week. A 6-2 and two team versus 0-8. They do these before the season starts. So I think there's a couple of other, if you have to ask me, obviously SDSU, UNI is probably the Missouri Valley game of the week. But Indi- like I said, Western Illinois, 0-8. NDSU needs to go do what they should have done against Indiana State is they need to go in and give this Western Illinois team a full lobotomy, put them out of their misery, give Western Illinois the charity of them understanding that we don't belong anywhere near the field, the same field as NDSU does. And NDSU, they have to come with some energy because it is Western Illinois there's going to be, there's going to be more people, and in North Dakota, it is the, it is the state semis. There's going to be more people at probably the nine-man state semis this week than there will be at this Western NDSU game. So bring their own energy, give them a full lobotomy, just go in and then knock their dicks off. That's what this game has to is is about. Oh. It so. did- NDSU going into this game, this should be their goal. Going into halftime, be up 42 rip. It should be a 21-0 game at the end of the first quarter. And in the second quarter, it should be 21 rip. 42 nothing at halftime. They don't belong on the field with us. Let's get our confidence going into November for, for the big time, big boy football when we try to win a national championship. This, this this really shouldn't be close. They should they should almost try to embarrass these guys just so the rest of the FCS knows who the king is and we're coming back in November to try to win win the title here. Yeah. And exactly. And hopefully they're not looking ahead because they got a big one next week against Southern Illinois. But And is, is, is Dylan, is that the Dakota Marker game next week? No. Or is it, uh, were they the Har- Harvest Bowl? Is that or have they had that game this year? I believe I believe that probably was last week. Okay, it's usually one of the last games of October, first game of November. So I think it was the Harvest Bowl this week, and then they've got after Western they got Southern Illinois on the road, and then they mm-hmm. have UND at home. Okay, I only ask because that's my favorite NDSU uniform. I, yes. I I love that uniform so much. They have a I don't. I don't know if they've worn the harvest, the harvest helmets this year yet. Hmm. So, all right. It looks like Ethan had to had to leave us. So it's just Grant and I rounding out the show here. Um. 
itself. So, Grant, do we? Uh, who do who, Iowa's got Purdue? So, yep. is this a? Uh, how how are we feeling about this one? Uh, a little nervous. Not gonna lie, because Jeff Brom has that Iowa's number since he's been at Purdue and hired in 2017 you know i think iowa has are they one in, they're one in four against him where they got the one win in 2019 in kinnick but you know brahm his style of play and how aggressive he is it's give it's given iowa issues in iowa they like to sit back in their zone and jeff knows how to attack said zone and he's always had um he's she's hit her head he his the zone he has Iowa's zone figured out and he's able to move the ball and he's aggressive and he puts a lot of pressure on this Iowa offense to match him blow for blow luckily David Bell is not playing um this year because I have nightmares from that guy yeah well I, you you do realize this is a Charlie Jones revenge game which and sure you're gonna get to next which probably might be is that might be scarier than Rondale Moore we don't know um, I, I think the Charlie Jones revenge factor is a lot scarier than David Bell because okay. Dave, David Bell, you know, he put up, I think, two touchdowns last year in Kinnick to the year before uh, during the COVID year for that first game in West Lafayette. But, yeah, to your point, this is a Charlie Jones revenge game. This this is, hey, look what you could have had and look what I'm doing right now. I think he's a semifinalist for the, um, the Bolitnikoff Award. And, you know, he, the fact that he didn't even get a scholarship offer from Iowa when he left the University of Buffalo, he had to walk on at Iowa and then earn his stripes and then still not get the attention that he had when Iowa saw what he was as a returner in the punting game. And they just never got him this ball on offense. So Charlie Jones is going to be pissed off. He's going to be excited. But then also in return, this Iowa secondary, they're going to be excited. They're going to be ready to roll too because they know it's a Charlie Jones revenge game. Everyone in the stadium knows where Purdue's going to try to go with this ball. They're going to try to go to number 15 in white. So I think this Iowa secondary, they're going to have a, a, a little bit of a pride to try to make sure that Charlie doesn't take this game over. And also the fact that Purdue's kicked Iowa's ass over these last, these last you know, five years. Um, they're going to try to do it again, and they're going to try to eliminate the Hawks from the season. Because if Iowa goes four and five after this game, you can pretty much, you know, officially, officially put a fork in them and say they're cooked. Purdue still has a shot. Again, the Indy, it's not great. Um, and then also but what Iowa has to do is they have to make O'Connell throw the ball and get some turnovers off him. Because when he's had a clean pocket this year and he doesn't have any turnovers, Purdue wins a lot of games. But when he gets a little aggressive, he has a fumble, he has an interception or two, you know, bad things happen. And that's what Iowa has to do to win this game. They got to turn Purdue over, I think at least twice. And then also they have to continue with the offensive line continuity and the running game that they had last week. Because that, that was the biggest takeaway from the Northwestern game is they were able to run the ball and establish themselves at the line of scrimmage. And when they're able to do that, they're able to run the offense that they that they run. And if they can't do that this week, if they can't turn Purdue over, it, it could be another ugly game when when Iowa and Purdue play for the Hawks. Yeah, 
Well, and that game's at 10 o'clock on FS1. So bright and early for you. But yep. yeah, I you're, you're right. I think I'm I'm sure I will play that zone, have a have a cover over Charlie Jones, make sure they know where he is at all times. Mm-hmm. And it's a place that Iowa and they're going on the road, and it's a place they haven't played very well either. Where they've, oh. I believe they've lost their last two games they've played there. I believe they lost there the first game of the year in 2020, and then in 2018 they lost as well. Correct. You know, in 2020 it was the David Bell show, in 2018 it was the Rondell Moore show. Uh, and hopefully this year, like we said, it's not the Charlie Jones show. Yeah, and Purdue's a three and a half point favorite. So but that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I that think really, they're only getting three and a half at home. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it goes into what you were talking about with O'Connell is, is he likes to give the ball away and Iowa, Iowa likes to take the ball away. So I think sure. that plays into it. I think this is going to be a low scoring game. I think if, I think the lower this score is, I think the more it favors Iowa, because I think it goes back to what, what Urban Meyer said with an offense like this is just, just get two first downs. You're in field goal range. And, and maybe one drive, try to get an explosive play. Maybe we'll see a trick play out of it. I think what Iowa needs to do two more on offense. I haven't watched their last couple of games, but they're so, they're so vanilla. They don't use any motion. They don't, there's no creativity within the offense. And that's something that they need to, find ways to get more more of correct yeah they just they line they line up in their sets and this is where we're at so the defenses know okay when iowa gets in this personnel when they have you know two by one to the left they know what small group of plays they can run there's no window dressing there's no creativity which puts stress on the defense in return that's what purdue does and i think you know, that just comes down, like we've said before, that just comes down to coaching and Brian Ferentz not putting his players in a good spot. But there's always, you know, there's always that one game each year where Iowa, they do that. They send guys in motion pre-snap. Um, they have they have a different formation sets. You know, they're, take, they're taking deep shots, some trick plays, and you sit back and you say, why can't we do that year-round? Because – Let's be honest, this Iowa defense, in my eyes, is a national championship caliber defense. If they just had some protection from, from this offense, um, you know, I'm not going to say they're as good as Michigan's defense because they're not. Michigan's, they have just, Michigan has thoroughbreds out there on the defensive line. I mean, they're built like an NFL team. But if this Iowa defense had a little protection from an offense, you know, this, this defense could win you, could win you a national title with just how opportunistic that they are. If they, had, how, the, if they had the 2019 Iowa offense, this, they, they would be dangerous, very dangerous. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. With, with Stanley, Amir Smith, Marset, you know, Alaric Jackson, Tristan, Tristan Wirfs, Tyler Linderbaum, Tyler Goodson, um, Charlie Jones wasn't on the team yet. Yeah. They, they, they would, they would be where Illinois is right now. How Illinois, you know, seven and one in top, top in the West. Um, but yeah, like I said, like I said before, and I'll say it again, you just got to have O'Connell turn the ball over a couple of times. And if you can do that, and if you can take advantage of that on a short field, good, good things will happen. 
And then, you know, Brock Osweiler said this last week in the broadcast, and it's a little crazy. It's a little far-fetched. But if this Iowa offense can get some confidence and some continuity going, and this defense is playing the way they are, why can't Iowa mess around and win some games towards this end of the year and change some things in the Big Ten West? You know, why, why, why can't they? I'm not saying they're going to, but if they're able to get some confidence going, a little more continuity on offense, and they're able to extend drives, and Phil Parker's able to make the adjustments that he makes, you know, hey, they could uh, they could maybe get to six wins at the end of the year. Maybe six. Maybe six. Maybe seven. Yeah. Well, they just got to win two more, and they're bowl eligible. And we'll go to to their neighbors to the north, where Minnesota travels to Nebraska to play play the Cornhuskers. And I don't know a whole lot about this game. Ethan, like I said, he had had to go somewhere. So I think we'll see. This is a little bit of a uh, dangerous trap game. I think Nebraska, Nebraska, their offense is still legit. They can still move the ball. I would expect Mo Ibrahim to have a big game. If Tanner Morgan plays the way he did against Rutgers, Minnesota wins by two scores. If he turns the ball over, if he goes bad Tanner Morgan mode, Nebraska Nebraska might pull an upset and might still be hanging around the hanging around the uh, rest of the Big Ten West. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, dude. I think it all comes down on how this Minnesota offense is. Um, I because if Minnesota gives Nebraska some short fields and they give them some confidence, you know this. Nebraska offense is still is still good. They can score some points on people, and they're they're going to move the ball. But it's it's this Nebraska defense that just can't stop anybody. But if Minnesota can't get Mo going and Tanner has to play more, and the game is on his right arm, Minnesota's in for a long day. You know they're in Lincoln because Tanner's going to throw it to Nebraska at least once. Casey will throw it to Minnesota a couple of times as well. If if not twice, both quarterbacks will. And then who can get a stop or in a big turnover when, when they need to? That's that's going to be big in this game because both offenses – or sorry, Nebraska's offense can score some points, and they can go up and down this field. And like what you said about that Georgia-Tennessee game, is Minnesota's defense going to make Nebraska kick field goals or are they going to let them score touchdowns? That will be the big part in this game. Yeah, and this is a ESPN 2 at 10 game. Minnesota is a – I believe I just saw it as a 16-point favorite. Okay. On the on the road. And Nebraska is they're gonna be looking to avenge because they did not play well last week at home against Illinois, where they lost 26 to 9. So I it, it, this is just kind of just gets you some weird, weird. It's gonna be one of those weird big 10 ESPN two games where who knows what's going to happen? Well, and to your point, Dylan, the Gophers' first loss this year was ESPN two at at ten you know, twelve Eastern, ten o'clock at home against Purdue. One of those weird games where something you just don't know what's going to happen. We Beth Mullins might be on the call. Beth Mullins might not be on the call, but these weird 11 o'clock games, you just don't know what to do because the fans are still a little full from breakfast. 
The players might still be a little tired, maybe hungover from the day before. If you're a Texas A&M player, you're going to be high in the locker room. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, we just, we don't know. And it'll be interesting to see because if the Gophers somehow lose this game, going, going into next year, do they have much hope or much, much faith in this coaching staff and this roster? I, I don't know because it's so senior led. So this is, this is a big game. And then also for Nebraska, you know, the season's already a wash and it's lost with, without frost, but can you at least salvage something a little bit and fight towards the end? We'll see. Yep. And we'll go to the uh, last game of the big 10 slate. Michigan plays Rutgers five thirty on big 10 network and the five thirty mountain. And that's a uh, Michigan's a 26 point favorite. And uh, Houston has decided to blow the doors open on the Phillies. Looks like we're going to have a 2-2 game here if this score holds. I don't know, Grant, if you're following it at at all. But right now it is in the top of the fifth. The Astros have scored five runs this inning. And they had the bases loaded, no out. And right now it's... uh, I'm going to... Alademis Diaz is uh, is up to bat. He's got a runner on first, two, two, two outs here as we record this. But it looks like we're going to have a two, two game, two, two series. So the series is going to be going back to Houston. Back Hopefully, to Houston. I don't jinx this. And by the time we, you guys are listening to this, it is not three one Phillies. But yeah, to this point, and I'm I'm going to jinx it now. But uh, the Phillies have yet to record a hit, Grant. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that that'd be a little something. That'd be a little fun uh-huh. for us. And they've had two base runners so far. They've had Marsh has drawn a walk and Harper has drawn a walk. Other than that, the Phillies have not had a base runner. So, okay, no, a no, no is going right now. And I don't know. I'd be cool, kind of cool to see a no hitter in the I, uh, in the dude, World I Series. Would. Dude, I would love it. That'd be so cool. Yes, but back to Michigan Rutgers. This is also a game where the last time Mich- Michigan played Rutgers was they subbed Cade McNamara in, and he led them back to a victory. Mm-hmm. And then the time before that, when it was a night game, Michigan beat Rutgers 78 to nothing. I hope the latter happens. I hope this game doesn't isn't play out like 2020 where they get down by like 21 points and they have to battle back and yep just something that shouldn't happen but Rutgers has seemed to give him since Greg Shiano's taken over he seems to give Michigan his best shot that's going to be a scrappy scrappy game but similar to what I said with West with NDSU and Western just jump on them early don't let them hang around put them out of their misery knock their dicks off and then go get ready to play Nebraska. There's, if anything that I really want to see with this game is I would like to see Lake Corum not get 30-plus carries. I would like to see Donovan Edwards get more. I'd like to see him kind of divvy it up a little bit more, try to take the load off Lake Corum in a little bit of a sense, put him in the garage, and try to keep him fresh because we're going to, Michigan's going to need him for these final three games and they're especially going to need them against the big one that 
Saturday after Thanksgiving. Oh, without question, dude. And from the little bit that I was watching the game last week, when Donovan Edwards got the ball, I felt like this Michigan offense had a little extra step in it, a little extra juice. So I was kind of, you know, as this as we get into November here, I'm kind of hoping this offensive staff gives him, you know, more carries. Get on with you. Blake Corum does not need to rush the ball 38 times against Rutgers like Mo did last week. It's just it's uh, it's unnecessary. It's wear and tear that he doesn't need and you need to save them you need to save them for the home stretch you know because also you got nebraska the week after and you got to play a scrappy illinois team with a good defense and then the big one so and illinois just to backtrack a little bit is probably going to be playing in indy this year exactly and and two two times possibly in three weeks yep and And like you said with donovan edwards is his He's a, he's a weapon out of the back, catching the ball out of the backfield. I think that's kind of where you see that explosion. But they have a you know, another running back that's a freshman, and I think they might tread. They've talked about wanting to get him on the field more. So hopefully Michigan jumps on him early, takes care of it, gets yep. – and the running back's name is C.J. Stokes. If they're able to get him 10 to 15 carries a game, get those reps up, you know – you know, try to limit Corum's carries to 15 to 20 and less if you can. But, you know, it's college football. You're going to, and Michigan is Michigan. You're going to get their best shot because Rutgers is fighting for a bowl, a bowl spot. So we'll see yep. what happens. And I'd like to see them improve their red zone efficiency. So well, and, and there's I think things that's to work the, on. Yeah, that's the one thing if you're a Michigan fan and you're this Michigan team where you sit back and you say, all right, we can beat Michigan State, we can beat Penn State, and we can beat uh, Rutgers with field goals. But when you get into the last two weeks in November, and if you're playing in January, that's not acceptable. And you need to, you need to start getting this red zone offense clicking now. So when you play those big games, you feel confident and you go, hey, remember when we ran this against Rutgers and it worked on this third goal from the seven? Let's go back to that concept. So then you have ideas and you're not certain you're not searching for ideas when you play those big games against, you know, against that team from Ohio. And then also in a in a big 10 title, you know, let's, let's get the offense rolling now where you can say, Hey, remember this concept, let's go back to that. So you're not searching for one, the the week, the week of that game. Yep. And exactly. And we'll, We'll go up to the NFL. Vikings play the Commanders at 11 a.m. on Fox. Vikings are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I believe, is this Kirk Cousins' first game back in Washington since he since he uh, signed with the Vikings? Or am I missing some a year? No, I think that, I think this is the Kirk Cousins' revenge game. I think, I think in, 19, in 19 they played it was in a Minneapolis. Thursday. It was a Thursday night game, yep. But yeah, I, I can't think of maybe in twenty twenty. You're right, but... because I think the last time the Vikings went to Washington was twenty seventeen. It was Case Keenum. Yep. Um. So I, I think you're right. I think this is old Kirky Bear's first time back in what technical land over Maryland since since he left after that twenty seventeen season. It could be. I believe so. And. Chase Young is going to be back. It sounds like sounds like he was activated his first action of the year. 
and that's uh, something that you gotta gotta watch out for because he is gonna be hungry after not playing for about a it seems like a year and a half about a calendar year yeah and limit him we'll see if tj hawkinson is going to be a factor i would expect them to start slowly working him in but and yeah this is this is the kirk cousins revenge game boy it's a lot changed uh since his uh since his time there but yes it has i think even with chase young i still don't think a whole lot of this commander's defense Mm -hmm. i think the vikings should be able to run the ball Hopefully they can put together another full 60-minute game and take advantage of that bad defense and a bat on the other side of the flip side, take advantage of a horrible offensive line that the commanders have, make mm-hmm. Taylor Heineke uncomfortable. And this command and, and make we have to make note that this commander's team has been playing better since Heineke's been in the game. They, this team seems to be playing with a little bit more energy, a little bit more juice. They've got a little bit more pep in their step. So they, they, have, to, they have to handle that. And if, if you're the Vikings and you want, and there's still talk about the Vikings being the F, word, F words, which is frauds, not the other word, trying to keep things clean on here. But, but this is a game you go on the road and you win by two scores if you're if you're a legit six and one. I'm with you 100% because Heineke, this Heineke-led commanders team, they're just like their quarterback. They're scrappy. They're undersized. They're not going to give up. If you let them hang around in a game, they'll bite you. But go in and just put them out of their misery. Put them out of their misery right away. Like we said with NDSU and like we said with Michigan. Just go out there, show them that you're the better team, dominate them from the first whistle, and then just make them quit. And, you know, this should be a day where, you know, hopefully Zadarius and um, Daniil can get after Heineke and they, they can they can rough them up and they can force them into some bad throws. But then also, maybe this is a time when the Vikings get the deep passing game going, where they get those explosive plays back that, you know, we really haven't seen a whole lot this year besides that week one game against Green Bay. And I think that's why they, they, they traded for a guy like Hawkinson who can stretch that field and open and, things up for guys like J.J. Osborne and Thielen. And then also look at you know how good Kirk is in the red zone. You get a guy like Hawkinson where he's, he's going to be – he could be just a red zone machine with that. And that's where I expect to see him the most this weekend is, is in the red zone. Um, you know, you'll, you'll slowly get him in on the offense more and more as each week, each with each passing week, but you get him in the red zone matched up, you know, on a linebacker or a safety and, and the huddle Kirk just tell, tells him, Hey, TJ run this route. He's going to go out there and he's going to beat him. And that's going to be six easy for the Vikings. Um, and then also like the commanders, like I said, they're just, their defense isn't that good. Their secondary is bad. They traded their one corner to the Steelers this week, you know, at, at the trade deadline. So then come out, jump on them early, and then, and then let that pass rush just do its thing. Get a couple turnovers. And you know what? You can feel confident going the next week, knowing you're 7-1, and one, going to play a Buffalo Bills team on the road. Yep, yep. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully, that's a good point too, because hopefully this isn't a look-ahead game for them either. Yeah. Because that trap game where it's like, 
oh, you know, hey, we're going to Buffalo next week. Um, you know, they, they could be seven and one. We could be seven and one. This is when people are going to call us real. You know, you give this Heineke led team air, you give them oxygen, just like a fire. It's eventually going to grow. And if you don't put this fire out, before you know it, Heineke's going to be on you and you have no more eyebrows because, because, because they took them off. And this, this Washington team, you know, you got to give them credit for this. They don't give up. Just like their head coach, just like their quarterback, they're fighters, they're scrappy. But just go in, take them out of their misery early. And hopefully, you know, you can stay healthy coming out of this game. You know, because that, that's the big thing. Because also, look at the ramifications for this division. The Packers and Lions play this weekend. You know, I, I'm not going to count the Packers out yet, but it seems to be a lost year. It's a lost year for the Lions. So the Vikings have an opportunity to be up four and a half games after Sunday on this division race. That's incredible. Who, who yeah. would have thought that at the end of the year? Not me. Not me. Not me. Do the uh, Phil Rudd meme. Who, who would have thought? Not us. Not, not <laughs> us. Look at us. Not us. And then, so I guess, yeah, that, that's enough Vikings commanders talk. Let's go down to the Sunday night game. Titans, Chiefs, Chiefs, 12 and a half point favorites at home coming off a bye, which Andy Reid is almost unbeatable off a bye. I haven't seen what the status of Ryan Tannehill is going to be if he's going to play, but I would expect, I doesn't look like it judging by the line as of now, they don't know. I'm guessing that's what the line is, is that he is not playing. Mm -hmm. And this game I feel has has all the feels of the Super Bowl champ future Super Bowl champions blowing the doors off the Titans because Andy Reid almost unbeatable off a bye. Ryan Tannehill not there. Malik, Malik Willis might be a starter in this league, but judging by the first game, no. We'll see. And Derrick Henry's gonna have to go Iron Man, Superman basically be all the Avengers in this game for mm -hmm. them to even have a shot. And maybe the, the Titans might be able to move the ball, but without Ryan Tannehill or the threat of a passing game, I have a hard time thinking they're going to be able to get touchdowns in this game. So I expect the Chiefs to roll them, and this game is over at halftime. This is going to be similar to the 2020 year when the Titans went up to Green Bay, and it was over at halftime as well. Well, and, you know, let's not forget, last year when the Chiefs and Titans played, Derrick Henry was off. He, Derrick Henry had, I think, only like 87 yards rushing and no touchdowns. Last year it was the A.J. Brown show. And the Chiefs had a, a stop on the first drive where Tennessee would have kicked a field goal and had a defensive holding. They prolonged it, and one of the tight ends scored a touchdown. And A.J. Brown's not there anymore. And he has more receiving yards than this whole Titans uh, receiving core does combined. And I, I think, again, for the Chiefs, the biggest thing here, Dylan, is this. Keeping Patrick upright. Because when they've protected him and they've given him time this year, he's unstoppable. No one has stopped him when he's had time. And he's has a, he has a clean pocket. Uh, and to your point, with Andy Reid coming off a bye, he's going to have two weeks to dissect this Titans defense know what they do well, know what they don't do well, and know what route concepts and combinations to run against said coverages. So as long as the big boys up front can give Patrick time, 
Patrick and Andy are going to have answers to everything that Tennessee has to offer. I, you know, if they try to shut Travis down in this look, well, guess what? We're going to McColl. If they try to shut McColl down in this look and they look like they might also try to d- double Travis. Hey, Juju, here's your thing. You, um, you know what? Off a quick turnover. Cause Malik threw it through to our guy MVS. We're going to, we're going to send you deep. So they just, if they could keep Patrick upright, I'm feeling very confident that they're going to win this game and they should look pretty good doing it because really Buffalo, they're moving the ball against Buffalo, you know, earlier this year, but there was towards later in that game when Vaughn was able to get home and that bill's pass rush got to Patrick. That's why the bills won that game. And then also I think to your point with Derek Henry, this is a week when you got to change your front up and you, you play almost like that 46 bear look you put, a guy on your guard center guard and you tell Malik Willis, you're not going to beat us this week by only throwing the ball 10 times. You have, you have to get at least over 200 yards passing and two passing touchdowns to beat us because the chiefs aren't going to let Derrick Henry run the ball 32 times for over 200 yards and two touchdowns. They're just, they're just not going to do it because the Houston Texans have the worst rush defense in the NFL and Vrabel knew that going into last week's game. And that's why the Titans got away with it. So keep Patrick upright and then make Malik Willis play quarterback in the NFL. And I think, I think good things should happen for this Chiefs team. Um, yeah, on Sunday night in Arrowhead. Yeah, and looking at it right now, it is Tannehill. He, he was limited in practice today, as was Derrick Henry. But – it looks like uh, they said Tannehill was ill last week. This is all on pro football talk. He missed Sunday's game with his ankle injury. And right now he's still unsure if he's going to be able to play. So I think this is a, uh, a easy win for the future Super Bowl champions. Oh, oh, oh never mind. Just, just my charger fell out, but we're good. So Chiefs roll. I'm one step closer to getting cornrows, and all I have curveball of the week, so I will take care of it. And you know, like we talked about earlier in the show, it is Halloween was on Monday night, and it's one of those years where I think people, you know, they they splurge a little bit on candy, even when you're an adult. I think as uh, especially now we've got a lot of our friends who are parents, they, they enjoy stealing their kids Halloween candy. This is how kids learn about taxes by the, uh, <laughs> the, the dad tax. <laughs> and so that my, this begs the question, Grant, what is your favorite and least favorite Halloween candy? Ooh, good question. Good question. Cause we actually talked about this at work this last week and for my favorites dude i gotta i gotta split it between two because it's not a 1a and a 1b it's a 1a and a 1a and so the first 1a is the Reese's cup great choice my my favorite candy of all time nothing nothing can beat it literally what's better than chocolate and peanut butter i'll give you some time you're not going to come up with a whole lot and then and then the, the fact that they put it together it's just fantastic. And it always reminds me, Dylan, of that family guy cutaway when Seth MacFarlane made up how that officer um, created the Reese's Cup. It was Officer Reese's. He, 
you know, came to a scene, two cars collided. It's Seth MacFarlane. That's all I'll say from there. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. So Reese, Reese's uh, cup, you, you can't beat it. I mean, I'll, I could have like 17 king size Reese's cups in front of me where there's four in a thing and I'll smash all 17 in one setting <laughs> and I might not feel good. I might have too much sugar in my system and I might, you know, have to end up throwing all this stuff up. But guess what? If I had 17 Reese's, you know, king size cups in front of me again, guess what? I'm going to eat them all. And then the other one Snickers, I, I just, the caramel, the, the peanuts, it's just Snickers are just fantastic. And it is true. You're not yourself when you're hungry. And if you're ever hungry, get yourself a Snickers. You'll be feeling right in no time. Yes. Uh, but candy, the, the one I dislike the most. Uh, ooh, that's a good one. But I don't for some never have been, you know, a three musketeers guy. Okay. Um, I don't know what's is that it's not nougat, but whatever it is in the middle there, it's just, it's a weird texture to it. I, I, I don't like it. Um, I just feel like you could have chocolate with a, a lot better combination than whatever they came up with that three musketeers bar with that. So that it's just, you know, please stop giving your kids, giving out three musketeers bars to your friends. It's just, it's, it's, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't hate them. I just don't eat them very often, mm -hmm. but you know, I'm, I'm with you, Grant, the Reese's and, and I think the most underrated candy bar, and I'm glad that it's finally getting the respect it deserves because they now have mini ones are the Reese's fast breaks. Oh, dude, oh. as a kid, as a kid, I loved those the Reese's fast break bars. Oh, yes. My and now, God. and now, now they come out with little ones, oh. one size ones. It's awesome. Dude, that, dude, that just made my day. Uh-huh. So I think since you took pretty much both of mine, I'll go with the Reese's Fast Break as a new one. Yep. And then my second one, I think I think I got got to go with the peanut M&Ms. I think Oh, yeah, dude. That's I I like them better than the the original. I don't mind the original, but I like for some reason just something about peanut M&Ms having nuts in my mouth. It's just <laughs> enjoyable. Well, who can blame no, exactly. And, <laughs> and the the least favorite candy is by far and away. And if if there's anybody that likes it, you, you should question your loyalty and friendship to them is is candy corn. Just absolute trash. Just the worst candy ever. It's terrible. Corn is a vegetable and that's how it should be. It should be in your burrito bowl at chipotle it should be on the cob it should be pop creamed it should not be a candy I, it's i i'm with you too candy corn is an absolute abomination and i this is how i feel about it men who eat candy corn probably pee sitting down let's <laughs> let's 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 call a spade a spade and then also if you want to have candy corn at least put it on your table at Thanksgiving and, and everyone there can avoid it and nobody eats it because we all universally know that candy corn is just trash. Exactly. I think that's a good way to end it. If, if, you're, if you're a guy and you eat candy corn, you definitely pee sitting down. That's a good way to end it, Grant. So thank you guys yep. for listening. Check us out on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, 
all that good stuff. YouTube, go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be posting the shorter segments of the show on Friday. That's all we got. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next week.